podcast this week. Winter is coming. Alex Winter, that is, as we chat to the director of the new Frank Zappa documentary, Zappa. And if winter is coming, it's a good time to go ice skating. So we talk to a man who has very firm views on such, particularly art of ice skating uphill. Coming to America star Wesley Snipes. Oh, yes, indeed. All that and more on the movie podcast that is slightly disappointed that Marvel didn't use its suggested title for Spider-Man 3. I don't know what was wrong with Spider-Man. Star Trek 4, The Voyage Home, apparently had already been taken or something, some sort of legal difficulties. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast back in my evil underground lair in London this week after my sojourn. To Scotland last week. Oh, not Scotland. Oh, I shouldn't give away. Oh, it was Scotland. Uh, anyway, this week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Once again, geek queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. Great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and the best thing to come out of Swindon since XTC, Beth Webb. Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Is our XTC is that like Swindon's most famous export? Well, no, Billy Piper is. Billy probably. Piper. What's an XTC? What is XTC? It's a sort of glam punk band from the seventies. Yeah, oh, dad's right. a dad's a big fan, but no, Billy Piper. Billy Piper was a few years ahead of me at uh, Braden Forest School, Swindon. So wow. yeah, I would say she is probably the biggest thing in my eyes. I, I take it back. Yeah, Mark Billy Lamar. Piper dwarfs XTC. Who? Mark Lamar. Swindon. Mark Lamar, uh, Melinda yeah. Messenger, Vivacia yeah. Fox. She was born in Swindon. Wow. Well, she know an awful lot about people who came from Swindon. Like I couldn't tell you who came from Pinner. <laughs> well, it's just Swindon pride, isn't it? You just got. Oh no, I can, I can. So Pinner, the sinner from Pinner, Jane March, obviously came from Pinner. Do you remember this sinner yes. from Pinner? No. Yes, yes indeed. From the uh, from um, the, lover the lover and yeah. uh, the color of night. No, you don't need to fucking pause it. It's widescreen and his cock takes up the entirety of the screen. It is a what full is HD, yeah. massive Bruce Willis's bellend. Like, 40 stories of sheer terror. Yeah, absolutely that. It's die like hard. a poster for Die Hard, but on its side. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, this is all wildly inappropriate already. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Hey, speaking of Billy Piper, did you know that if you're in central London and you're trying to figure out where you are in Soho... And, you know, there's a there's a run of streets. There's Greek Street, Fifth Street, Dean Street, mm-hmm. Poland Street, all that sort of stuff. There's an order. acronym, a handy acronym that you can remember to tell you the order in which the streets run. And that acronym is going for dinner with Billy Piper. G, <laughs> going, Greek, Greek Street, W4F, Frith Street, dinner, Dean Street, W Wardour Street B Brewers Barrick Street Barrick Street Barrick Street It's been a long time since I've been around these streets <laughs> and P Poland oh. Street going for dinner with Billy Piper That's amazing I've never heard that and that's I always really get the order of those streets wrong so yeah. that's really useful I'm always lost <laughs> That is not by the way my fact because I don't do facts for the three fact structure but <laughs> oh, if it had been I think I would have won but we're going to yeah, barrel straight into the three fact structure this week Jimbo you have promised a particularly long and tedious fact this week to go with you until the very very end uh, Beth, as the occupant of the fourth chair this week, do you have a fact for the three fact structure? And if so, what is it? It better yeah. involve Billy Piper. <laughs> I should come better equipped with Billy Piper facts for future. I'm, here I am preloading on Swindon facts and not enough Billy Piper facts. 
Uh, no, my uh, fact today is, uh, well, it's a person. It is a woman called Lindsay Doran. Helen, I wonder if, I just assume, given you know everything about women in Hollywood. Oh, everything, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. every single thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a woman working in Hollywood. Her name is Lindsay Doran, and she is known as the script whisperer. And she is actually one of the better known people working on. So she's worked on some of the biggest films working today. And no one really knows who she is because she. Uh, you, you just told us her name. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's very influential and she's known as a script whisperer. And it's her mission in Hollywood to make Hollywood films happier. She used to be the president of United Artists Pictures. Uh, she was a producer on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And. Mm-hmm. This is Spinal Tap and The Firm. And now she teaches these classes to these uh, budding screenwriters on how to make happier films, basically. She's worked on uh, Lord and Miller's films as well. Um, but no one really knows who she is. She never gets credited on films. And I just think she's she's super interesting. And uh, yeah, that's my fact. So do we know what she looks like? Is she just... Is she- in cosplay as a giant script the entire time <laughs> no she's got this wild uh curly hair and that's about well she's kind of an enigma you can do a little bit of googling there's like a new york times article on her i tried to talk to her for the magazine but she is very shy and doesn't do a lot of press but she's one of hmm. these kind of invisible women who is very present in hollywood in a lot of ways but doesn't actually get credited or so did she just sort of turn much. up on like die hard five and go needs more puppies and that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's her contribution if only that film had had more puppies i think it would be a very different yeah. thing she turns up a color of night and goes put it away bruce no one wants to see this <laughs> no, no one needs this well one of the things she teaches is that it's not enough in a in a film for someone to triumph they have to share the victory with someone so like in the king's speech when he you know is able to deliver the speech it's not enough that he's able to deliver the speech it's that he's then able to share that victory with his family when baby does the big lift in um dirty dancing it's not enough that they carry off the big maneuver it's then she does that and then she reconciles with her dad so it's all those like key workings that she's kind of figured out through her years of working in cinema and she's going on to teach this to kind of future generations Hmm. To prove that you don't have to make miserable movies to win Oscars, basically. She didn't work on The Mist, then. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't work on The Mist. But she's this kind of one-woman mission, kind of working in Hollywood to try and make it happier. That's cool. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, What a a lovely, lovely... Cockle-warming fact. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Very nice indeed. Why does cockle-warming sound wrong when warm the cockles doesn't... I don't know. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, it sounds That's dirty. Contextually, because we were talking about Bruce Willis and this probably. little lad, we're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, it's probably his cockles feels, were not warm. Yeah. That did not look. Feels yeah. bad. Um, anyway, anyway, okay. Hell's Bells. What have you got for us yeah, this week? Yeah, um, it was a little. Uh, I, I told you I got that Close Encounters book, so I thought I'd give you a little tidbit from that. Oh, finally, this is the Bob Balaban. The Bob Balaban Diaries, uh, Close Encounters yes, Diaries. They were Bob Balaban, but now Helen has got round the Bob Balaban. <laughs> uh, I don't think they were. You may well know Dad. this, uh, but I didn't know this before, which is that while they real. were shooting... What? It's a film. Is that what? your fact? No, that's oh. a documentary. Oh, like, yeah. it's all there in the book. You know, it's all true. <laughs> aliens. Anyway, while they were shooting the real aliens who definitely existed um, on the big set uh, in Alabama, there were reports of a guy going around L.A., 
claiming to be Steven Spielberg and basically conning people into paying for his dinner by being by claiming to be Steven Spielberg. And um, because everybody basically looked the same in the 70s, like everybody had the big beards and the glasses and they all looked the same to the point where Bob Balaban and Richard Dreyfus went to see Jaws together because Balaban hadn't seen it yet. But because Dreyfus had shaved his beard and Balaban had grown one, um, people came up to them after the movie and asked Bob Balaban to sign their tickets because they thought he was Richard Dreyfus. Anyway, I mean, the point is... He doesn't even look anything like Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> they do look alike. It was literally a point of discussion on the film that they had to fi- figure out a way to have Bob Balaban look less like Richard Dreyfus. That's, That's why wild. he has the big beard and the glasses. That's anyway, wild. Anyway, yes. Point being... Uh, everybody looked the same in the 70s. So this dude was going around LA pretending to be Steven Spielberg, getting people to buy him dinner or, or you know, write off his check for dinner and generally giving the director a bad name. So Spielberg got really upset and took out an ad in The Hollywood Reporter saying, to the gullible and defenseless, the man walking the streets of Los Angeles is not Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg is in Alabama, making close encounters of the third kind. At least do not allow this sad fraud to make you pay for dinner. This year, Steven Spielberg can afford a meal. Oh, wow. So hey, hey, flaunting your uh, your old privilege there, Stevie. But uh, <laughs> but also, what, what, what's the thinking behind that? So this is an ad in The Hollywood Reporter? Hollywood Reporter, yeah. And he's expecting everyone in Hollywood who works in a restaurant to see this I'm assuming somehow? So. Yeah, I'm assuming so. Okay. I mean, probably they do, in fairness. Like, everybody working in a restaurant in LA, as I understand it, is an actor trying to get into the business. So, presumably, does read The Hollywood Reporter daily. So, mm-hmm. Did they yeah. get the guy? It, it, the, the records on that are silent. Mm. <laughs> yeah, seems to me like you know, old Stevie S was covering his tracks. <laughs> what, flying back to LA to get a free mm-hmm. dinner and then flying yeah. back to the set? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it's convincing. Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible to approve or disprove. Uh, so, therefore, I think I'm safe legally. Uh, <laughs> on that one, anyway, uh, let's move on quickly. God, as imagine if I got sued by Steven Spielberg. That'd be amazing. I mean, what a privilege that would be. Again, as your lawyer, that should not be your aim. You know, just, just, just saying. I'm not just an aim. You could there. probably make it happen without too yeah. much effort. So. More of a happy accident more than anything else. <laughs> Again, similarly, not that happy. You know, he's got very, very good lawyers. Yeah. How do you plead? Yeah. Guilty, but your honour, it's just a privilege to be here. <laughs> do you think anyone's ever called Steven Spielberg Stevie, by the way? I think that's massively disrespectful, so don't do, do it. Do you? Yeah. Well, isn't it, didn't he call uh, John Williams Johnny? So maybe John Williams in turn is allowed to call him Stevie. Oh, Johnny and Stevie, you oh, just put me in mind of Shit's Creek. I oh. have four episodes to go, folks. Oh, it's so good. Four episodes to go. Please, no spoilers. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what happens. I haven't looked up anything that, that you know, I've seen one spoiler tweet uh, on, on one spoiler picture on Twitter. But uh, anyway, Jimbo. Christopher. You have the floor. How long do we set aside for this? Uh, Beth, Helen, <laughs> well, do you want to go you know, <coughs> yeah, walk away? Yeah, just go make a yeah. coffee. Yeah. 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 Go and warm yeah. a cockles. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a four-hour roast. <laughs> just go grab lunch. Anyway, fine. I'll still be talking when you get back. Yes. Um, okay, look, let's be honest. I'm far too lazy to have come up with a new fact for this week. And why would we, Why would one not recycle when one had the opportunity? Why would Some recognition. Of yes. the fact that we watched the map of Tiny Perfect Things last week, mm-hmm. which is a film heavily inspired by Groundhog Day. I have prepared, or I did prepare last week, a series of facts about that very film that I didn't get to share. A because series? you're a twat and you cancelled the 
facts. So, but so you're going to get them this week instead uh, because I'm fucked if I'm coming up with new ones. So, I should also point out I did not get these facts from Nick DeSemin's best-selling book, Wild and Crazy Guys, uh, but rather ferreted them out over the course of at least five minutes on the Googles. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Wow, five okay, minutes. Okay, so firstly, firstly, as you may know, this is warm sorry, up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. Facts. Oh, Plural. yes. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, yes. No. One fact. One oh, fact. It is, no, no, it is It is a gestalt fact. They all come together to form a larger whole, a bit like Devastator in Transformers. Why now, is this happening? Firstly, as you will probably know, Bill Murray was not the first choice for Phil Connors. In fact, both Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton were offered the lead in that film. Hanks refused, apparently, because he didn't think his nice guy image would kind of work with that character. And Michael Keaton apparently didn't understand the script and, and went on record as <laughs> saying so. So, fair play. <laughs> But apparently when Danny Rubin wrote the screenplay, the person he had in mind for Phil was actually Kevin Klein. So I don't know what happened there. Another fact, another fact, is the amount of time Phil Connor spends in Punxsutawney Purgatory is kind of a contested one. So in the original script, anyone like to guess how long he spends in, 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 in the loop? 10,000 years. 10,000 years is the correct answer. Uh, is the correct the answer. Correct yes. answer. The, correct <laughs> answer. <laughs> the correct answer is 10,000 years. Okay. Harold Ramis, though, May you rest in peace. Uh, before his die, did say that he reckons it was 30 to 40 years in his film because he thinks 10,000 is ridiculous. Apparently, uh, um, Phil was reading one page of one book in the Punks of Tawny Library every single day, and that's how he was keeping track of the passage of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so there you go. Um, now, the puddle that Phil steps in Yes, the doozy, mm -hmm. as it were. That still exists. They filmed uh, <laughs> Brianna Day in Woodstock, Illinois, and there is still where well, they had to dig out some bricks to make that puzzle. And there is a plaque there that simply reads, Bill Murray stepped here. But none of those things are my fact, of course, Good because God. my fact concerns you, you the know, real you could just, you could just skip to the actual fact. <laughs> you don't have to do these shit-ass <laughs> sub-facts. <laughs> It's an amuse-bouche. A great meal, not, as you will know, It's not an amuse-bouche because it's not amusing. My bouche is not amused. <laughs> the entree, of course, revolves around the true star of the film, which is Punk's Attorney Phil, who is a real-life figure and has been, and this is absolutely true, predicting the weather in Punk's Attorney since 1886. This... Not the same groundhog. Despite the fact that the average life expectancy of a groundhog is roughly six years. Yeah. However... According to Bugs of Tawny lore, Phil has been kept sprightly by the regular infusion of groundhog punch and something they call the elixir of life, mm -hmm. which I think is uh, the plot of one of the DC movies. Anyway, uh, this is administered each year on the annual groundhog picnic in the autumn. Uh, and Phil, who is obviously very long-lived for a groundhog, is so famous that he was once flown to New York and appeared on Oprah back in 1995. Didn't Oprah f shoot in Chicago? I thought Oprah sure. shot in wherever Chicago. wherever Oprah shoots. He was okay. flown wherever Oprah shoots. Okay, stop upending my fact. <laughs> but Phil, and he is Phil, only got his name in 1961. And it is believed, it is believed he was actually named after our very own Duke of Edinburgh. Did you know that? Do you know who else was named after the Duke of Edinburgh? Go on. The Prince in Sleeping Beauty. Ooh. I mean, that's less good than the groundhog, I'm saying. I mean, but, I'm just uh, saying it's, it sure. was going right Do you know where Groundhog Day comes from? Do you know where, where it actually originates? Pucks Tony? No, but like it's 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 a Celtic thing. It's a Germanic Celtic crossover type thing. Uh, that if and it was something to do with if a hibernating animal casts a shadow on February the second, then the pagan holiday of Imbolc uh, would last another six weeks. And if no shadow is seen, legend says spring will come early. So and in Germany, it evolved into the myth. And, uh, and uh -huh. there you go. And that's why in Candlemas, there's a whole hedgehog shadow thing. It's all related to that as well. Uh, and German immigrants, of course, came to Pennsylvania, and that is how. Groundhog Day 
Mm. arrived. That was a bit of a filibuster, wasn't it? It did I've got feel another like it lasted <laughs> 2,000 years. Groundhog Day routinely got don't. very few people. It now gets about 20,000 people turn up to Punxsutawney each year for Groundhog Day. And Petter have objected to the whole event because they say it puts undue stress on Phil. And they've suggested replacing Phil, and this is absolutely true, with some kind of hybrid robotic groundhog, as it would be more humane. Hmm. Do you, know that, do you know that Bill Murray Phil's went to see... Phil's also been sued on three Good occasions Lord. for being wrong. There's another fact for you. <laughs> do you know that Bill Murray went to see the Groundhog Day musical two nights in a row? Oh, did that's he? lovely. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. I like that a lot. I mean, my God. Uh, <laughs> here's where I am. Uh, I'm on the brink of just, you know, just throwing myself into the Thames, uh, but also uh, taking Jimbo with me. It's not a court in the lab we can fit. Uh, anywho, here's my here's my dilemma. I don't want to reward James's behaviour in coming up with multiple facts when really only one fact would do, and filibustering for what seemed like ten thousand years um, in a segment that I wanted to be fairly tight. On the other hand, he did pronounce "imbulk." And I think that alone <laughs> means that he yeah. should win this week's three-fact structure. You. Thank you. Oh, can I, that's can I, that's can my I... dilemma. I haven't given you the point yet. I think that's my dilemma. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So I haven't officially won yet. Fine. Anyway, so um, someone called uh, Quo underscore Fatimus on Twitter uh, sent in a DM to me saying that she has been keeping track of the three-fact structure scores, which is good because I stopped after three weeks. <laughs> and... James's victory this week mm-hmm. means he's level on points with Helen. Yes! Oh, 17 really? points apiece. 17. I thought he was ahead already, to be perfectly honest. 17. How, We've been doing how this way too long. Been, how have there been that many facts? The fourth chair has uh, has got 14 points. Um, and don't forget, sometimes I, I work multiple points in a week. Uh, so, But we've been doing it since podcast 407 and this is podcast oh 453 God. and we've this skipped a couple of weeks here end. and there i now feel like i'm in groundhog day we're coming up almost to the first anniversary one year anniversary oh. of the beloved three fact structure so happy birthday to this segment and it's happy birthday to this segment it is the listener question segment which has been going since what week three week two something like that all oh, way back in the day uh, back you know when we had one listener and he would just send in stuff uh and the question this week comes from at Andy Parks on Twitter. And he asks, after the Mars coverage this week, what's the best spaceship landing in movies? So if you don't know what's happened, basically NASA landed a robot spaceship called Perseverance on Percy. the um, Percy. What's We're it going called? With Percy. Oh, Percy. It is Perseverance. No, it's Perseverance. It is, it's Perseverance. Percy yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Perseverance on the surface of Mars and um, and found one of Matt Damon's shit potatoes. So that's <laughs> that's nice. Well done. Then. Did you hear the uh, the signal that came back from Mars? It just sounded a lot like. <laughs> Let's not do the entire segment in Martian talk. <laughs> no, we're not oh, Mars attacks. Love that it? film. Love mm, that film. So and good. I love the way those spaceships land. <laughs> the, the Mars attacks DVD has a Martian subtitle track. So oh, it's that's just amazing. Ack, 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 ack. <laughs> Yes. Um, speak, on, on a slightly different note, did anyone see the uh, the thing on Twitter this week that somebody posted extracts from Brian Blessed's a Flash Gordon commentary? 
It's Ooh. unbelievably great. In fact, no, it's believably great because it is exactly what you think Brian Blessed would say on a film commentary. It's amazing. Yeah, super good. Anyway. Yes, spaceship landings. The mothership. Work. Closing Carters of the Third Kind again. Oh, I watched it God. again this week, but I'm, I'm genuinely like it's it's an incredible, incredible scene. Nobody, nobody's ever done the like of it. It's amazing. I, I I take issue with that, Helen. It is no the Enterprise D crash landing in Star Trek Generations now. No, is no, it? no, that's not is okay it? because they crash land the Enterprise D, which is like the nicest one, <laughs> and they crashed it, and I was not okay with that, and I'm still not okay with that, and I still oh. haven't forgiven them. So but, I mean, no. they did replace the Galaxy Class D with a Sovereign Class oh, no. E, Helen, I never which liked in e. some ways, you know, did come with quantum torpedoes and ablative armor, which was that's a significant so upgrade. It's okay. I'm I'm. I'm versed in this. Just sort of <laughs> okay. Beth has down. done the pilot TV podcast with me enough times to be immune to this shit. <laughs> no one's immune to this shit. <laughs> Take faith in the fact James ties himself out eventually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's like a toddler. Just let him run around. You know. Give him a juice box when it he gets tired. It does tired. happen. I've seen it it's happen. Um, yeah. This is why he never speaks during the review section. He's just having a little nap. <laughs> yeah, I, have a, I have to have a little lie down. That's just getting revenge for the fact that I made her watch an episode of the Battlestar Galactica remake for pilot once and she didn't enjoy it. That what, was in Beth? Well, oh, I, why? It's not I didn't enjoy it as such. I just didn't adopt it as my own personal religion. So it was... <laughs> but um, why would you? Much the same thing. <laughs> oh, so say we all, Beth. So say yeah. we all. No, don't you? I'm all right with it being James that I let down. I can't let you down, so... <laughs> Force Awakens. I love the crash landing of the Millennium Falcon in Force Awakens. I'm just charging through and cutting up this discourse right now. Force Awakens. <laughs> crash landing of the... No, not Wait, Force Awakens. Land? It lands on Starkiller Base. But they sort of crash oh, yeah. land okay, it really, yeah. Like, yeah, all right. really mm-hmm. skillfully and it ends just on the, on the cusp of the mountain and a few kind of balls of snow fall down, but not enough. Um, and I thought that was very cool. Okay, all right. Um, Space like Jam in the, in the baseball pitch. Uh-huh. That's a great one. Yeah. If you can remember that, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. another ship that lands on a baseball pitch is in The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is uh, what inspired my squadcast name this week. The original The Day the Earth Stood say, Still, I mean, the, the Robert Wise yeah. The Day the Earth Stood Still, not the Scott Derrickson one, which is not that good. The spaceship comes in hovering and it's really good scenes, shots of uh, people in Washington, it lands in Washington, and people looking up at the spaceship going, oh, what is this spaceship? And then it kind of, it kind of hovers and it lands on a baseball mound. And it's like, ooh, what's more American than a baseball subtext? Mmm, political satire and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but that's, that's really good. I like that. I also like the way the Millennium Falcon lands generally. You know, with the, it's just just it's just a cool, just reverse just a kind cool of bit of reverse thrusting yeah. going on. Yeah, I, I seem to remember the um, the Viper's landing in Battlestar actually being pretty cool. I don't know if it counts as landing because it's technically, you know, on a ship. And but... I think you find this is a film podcast and that should be reserved for the pilot TV oh podcast. Oh so uh, I'm disqualifying I'm just that. While we're on the subject. Okay, then say something that isn't a TV show, James. Come on. All of mine are crash related, unfortunately. Why? I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, so I would say Serenity and Serenity. I am oh. a leaf on the wind. Oh, that's not the best. That's the worst. Um, the APC and Aliens, that's a hell of a crash sequence. I particularly mm. like the way it's done, where it's its playing out on a screen and they're just diving around rocks on the soundstage in front of it. 
Which is very um, ahead of its time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In, the effects in, in that film, which I watched again last week, as I have a tendency to do, fucking are astonishing mm. and stand up really, really well. The crash in Pitch Black is quite a stormer. That's really Ooh. good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big fan of that. I'm also a big fan of our Pitch Black spoiler special podcast, which we recorded last year, which you can get now at the at the bargain price of two ninety nine a month. Just What's to plug the spoiler special podcast there. Synergy. Yeah, there you Ooh, go. Wow. Brand Synergy, Chris. Plug the Spoiler Special <laughs> Podcast at their new lower bargain price. Yeah, especially with like everyone putting their prices up or creating brand new streaming services that no one's going to watch. That's right. Um, which we may talk about later on. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're going down in price. Yeah. Don't get Come Paramount on Plus. Get our Spoiler Special yeah. Podcast. Yeah, Synergy. Wow, mm. yeah. But uh, yeah, I also, I yeah, those are good sequences. I like that. A nice bit of crashing's good. And I will, I'm also going to stretch this to uh, accept ships that don't land, technically. Mm. Okay. Um, because there's something great about a giant city-sized, you know, flying saucer coming in and just kind of hovering over a city. Be Independence it, Day. Independence Day. Yeah. I mean... When that it was comes my first out thought. of the cloud yeah. of the yeah. sort of vapor, that's yeah. that's yeah. that's fun. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the great Matt Soller sides, who's a fantastic film critic, who was talking on Twitter the other day about how the first forty five minutes of that movie are perfect, mm. and I'm inclined to agree with him. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty much downhill from the from <laughs> from the minute that uh, they blow the shit out of the world. But you know, still enjoyable. I still really mm. really like Independence Day. But that first forty five minutes is just incredible, yeah. and the awe inspiring nature of the the ships, which are fifteen miles wide, something mm. like that. It's just it's just incredible. And I don't think we spent long enough, frankly, on close encounters. That's what a sequence, Helen. Isn't it incredible? And and it's the it's the way that the ship just like turns upside down. As it comes in as well, you're mm-hmm. just like it just just to give you a, a chance to like really take in how fucking incredibly beautiful and alien and enormous the thing is, and it's the way it comes over Devil's Peak and uh, just dwarfs it beneath it. You're just like, holy shit, just got notes. real. Oh my god, yeah, and just the, the, the sheer size of the whole thing and those notes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You probably should have started a bit higher. Actually, that's usually my problem. Okay, here we go. I'll start again. Higher. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh yeah, I should. I should. I should drop that note up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Inspiring stuff, don't you think? <laughs> Just as John Williams intended. Exactly, exactly that. That's Williams reborn right there. Uh, I was angry initially about paying seven quid for this kazoo, but it's actually the best seven quid I've ever spent. It's <laughs> <laughs> really tremendous. You can punctuate any conversation with a bit of kazoo. But yeah, That's I love that. Good. I also love um, the spaceships we don't see landing at the beginning of John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, where we see... Hang on. Do we do we think we might have strayed slightly out of the bounds of the question at this point? <laughs> no, because it's landing. The direct opposite. It's landing. No, 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 because it's crashing. It's crashing. We just don't see it crashing. And uh, and also we see the Predator ship coming, being sent mm. to Earth at the beginning of, of Predator as well. And I've always wondered yes. if they needed to show that. I know. I, that's, that's one of the things where I... So my issue with the Alien Special Edition is that they introduce the scene where they discover the derelict ahead of the Marines arriving on LV-426. And I think you've got the same problem in Predator there. It just it takes a lot of the drama away when you kind of know for 100% sure what's going to happen. Mm. Like you know there's going to be an alien. It's much better if it's there's something out there hunting us and it ain't no man. 
You know, you don't know what it is. That's <laughs> that's where you want to be. On the yeah. edge. Um, <laughs> I, I, how about, I mean, that's got me thinking about circular ships and not about mm-hmm. Prometheus, but about the crash in Infinity War. Uh, the mm-hmm. crash landing there is kind of fun, silly, but fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we are duty bound um, of course. to talk about the MCU at some point. So yes, thank you for introducing that, Helen. Uh, otherwise, we would have been uh, electrocuted. I think that's yeah. what. That's, that's what <laughs> yep. oh, I must talk about the MCU. But also when they when those dickheads Ebony Maw and the big oh, fella like oh the oh, oh they come to Earth at the beginning of the uh, the movie, don't they? And this the, mm. the, it lands. You can see it land in in New York. That's that's pretty cool. Although does it, it doesn't land? technically land. It doesn't land. No, no they it beams just them beam down, down. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. It does not land. Yeah. You know what does land? <gasps> the Enterprise in Star Trek Into Darkness under the oh, sea. No, I was going to say under the, the sea. sea. I was going to go under with Voyage Home. Sea. You lost me when you said Into Darkness. Well, see, that's the bounty, not the Enterprise. But yes, yeah, so they have the Klingon Bird of Prey, and I love the fact that they just hide it in a park and just yeah. leave it there cloaked, which is nice. Invisible, like the uh, the lady who wants to make scripts happy. Indeed. Yeah. Hey, call back. Invisible, <laughs> silent, and deadly. She's come to down with a few days to kill. <laughs> Only in the hottest years she comes. <laughs> this year. She uses the jungle. <laughs> when the big man was killed, they must have wounded her. Her blood was on the leaves. Oh my God. <laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> yes, the Predator musical. It all comes back to the Predator musical. See, what would she have done with Predator? She would have gone, this isn't happy enough. The Predator and Dutch don't become best friends at the end of the uh, the script. They need to dance and have a musical number. <laughs> but that's why you have the bit at the end where it's, you have been watching Predator. <laughs> and you see all the cast like winking at the camera. Like, like, there we go. That's a bit of yeah. buoyancy to end the movie. <laughs> Let's have Shane Black reading a comic. <laughs> Oh dear, yes indeed, yes indeed. Any more for any more before we wrap up this frankly farcical section. Helen's looking faintly horrified. I, I just saw a picture of Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson. And, yeah, oh really? Oh my God, Ooh. really? I, Hang on. I now must see this. It's, it's not. It's not good, guys. It's. Oh, oh my eyes! It's <laughs> horrible. Pass me mind bleach. No, absolutely not. No, I refuse. Oh, okay. For spaceships. I'm just going to have to think about the mothership now until I calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what about docking? What about spaceships docking? Well, interstellar. So interstellar when it goes wrong. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think um, hmm, that's a good one. I, I think it's got to be one of the like enterprises sailing into space dock or out of space dock. Those are my favourite bits. Or the really tedious moment in Star yeah. Trek: The Motion Picture. Jupiter Planitia no. shipyards, Helen. No, I mean space dock. Shut up. I might mean the Jupiter Planitia space docks as well. Anyway, I was actually thinking of the start of Star Trek 2009 with that one, with mm. um, uh, the attempt to get out without scraping the paintwork, basically, mm. which is quite cute. Oh. Oh. 2001. Yeah. There's a lot of docking in that. <laughs> There's a lot of docking in that. <laughs> no, this um, sounds wrong. Yeah. The event horizon. Can we not talk about space docking on this podcast? Yeah. I think it's just, you know, inappropriate. <laughs> 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 I thought that joke had died too. <laughs> no, good thing about space talking is you can just you can just freeze it and reuse it. So, 
It's all good. It's all good. Right. Well, I was going to try and mention 2001, but I think this is coming to an end. I think this is this is it. This is it now. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the FR podcast, you can get in touch with us via one method and one method only. Um, just space talk with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs or you can just reply to one of my tweets. Uh, any of my tweets, doesn't really matter. Just pick one of the funny ones. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't narrow it down. They're all funny. <laughs> or you can reply to one of my panicked shout-outs every now and again. Right, time now for our first guest this week. And uh, Coming to America, the much-anticipated sequel to Coming to America. <laughs> I mean, they haven't thought this through. It's coming to America. Like, I know, step but it's hard to, to the streets. I know, but it's hard to kind of get that across. You have to say coming to America. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have to say coming, like, too fast, too furious. Coming to America, which is a sequel to Coming to America, is exactly. out next week. It is out on Amazon Prime Video. What a time to be alive. And... Uh, uh, the gang's all back, pretty much. You know, so Eddie Murphy's back, Arsenio Hall's back, James Earl Jones is back, Shari Headley's back. But there are some new faces in this one, and one of the new faces is an old face. We've seen him before. It is Wesley Snipes. Yes, indeed. Belade himself, the Daywalker himself. He is in this movie, uh, reuniting with uh, Craig Brewer, who was his director on Dolomite Is My Name. And uh, I caught up with Wesley via Zoom, but the sound's actually pretty good, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I just hung on for grim life, quite frankly. The man is a delight. This was a real pleasure. Hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Here's me talking to Wesley Snipes. Enjoy. Hello, Wesley. Hey, Chris Hewitt. What's happening, man? I'm good, sir. How well, are I you? I didn't know what's happening. It's coming to America, too. That's what's happening, man. So it's a <laughs> silly question. The fact that I asked it in the first place—how silly of me! Uh, I think my work here is done, Wesley. Thanks very much. We're all we're, we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> just in case it, I forgot. <laughs> just in case I forgot the name of the film. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all good. Uh, how the devil are you, sir? Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm in a good space. <clears throat> Energy's good. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this ride with, uh, you know. Having one of my uh, bucket lists checked off. <laughs> opportunity to work with the opportunity to work with Eddie and Arsenio and being for me, which was one of <clears throat> excuse me, the most iconic movies of my post <clears throat> post college graduation acting school experience. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's a hell of a thing. It's a hell of a thing. How many things do you have on your bucket list, by the way? Oh, I got a few. Uh-huh. There's What's definitely left? a couple of them. I, you know, for one, I want to do a, oh man, I hope we can do that one day. I would like to do, and I promise to do a roller coaster tour. A tour of some of the best and the greatest roller coasters in the world. I want to do this with my, with my sons and daughter. I don't think my daughter is going to do it, but my sons definitely will. <laughs> These action boys like their dad. They're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> So that's on the back of bucket list. I would say another thing on the bucket list is to finally work with Meryl Streep. Man, I came close. I was producing a film in the 80s. That was a, a motorcycle movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be really cool to have Meryl Streep play like a motorcycle chick. Yeah. You know, so I called her up and we talked about it, but the, the, the movie never materialized. And no, we've never seen her as a motorcycle chick, as far as I recall. No, she's she, well. She she could do most things, I would say. But motorcycle she's chick, an alien. 
Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. By far, male or female, the top actress in my book, actor. Yeah. In America, by far. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, Wesley, I hope that both these things are ticked off your bucket list at some point. Even if you get them mixed up and you take Meryl Streep on a roller coaster tour, I'd be okay with that. I'm with that. <laughs> I'm with that. <laughs> I'd buy that ticket. I absolutely would. Honestly, if I could be a, an, an onlooker, an innocent bystander watching Wesley Snipes and Meryl Streep ride roller coasters, <laughs> I'd die a happy man. I really would. <laughs> but th- this particular thing that you've ticked off your bucket list, which is finally working with Eddie Murphy, um, mm. you look like you are having the best time in this movie. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. A great creative good time, mm-hmm. an opportunity to be in an ensemble. I like ensemble work. I grew up around ensemble work. I cut my teeth on my skills, early skills, being an ensemble performer. Even as a street dancer, you know, you rocking with your crew. So yeah. I like that. And the action movies kind of take you away from that, yeah. unless you have your action team, your team. Yeah. But uh, but from the you know on camera acting side of it, ensemble is the best. That's so much. Fun. So great to do. Great to finally have that opportunity and, you know, try to bring my best work or at least, you know, respect the iconic film and its status in the world. Mm -hmm. Respect the other actors and respect Eddie and the visionaries. Yes. Who uh, brought us brought us back to this, you know, 30 years later. Absolutely. Uh, So so obviously you and Eddie and Craig had worked together on Dolomite is my name. Um, mm-hmm. at what point was it during the making of that movie maybe in between takes Craig or Eddie sidles up to you and goes hey man I'm uh, thinking of doing Coming to America are you interested or, or was it was it more complicated I than wish. that <laughs> I wish yes I wish I want to tell this story yes no <laughs> no actually I was the last chick at the bar you know waiting to see if somebody was going to invite me to the after party. <laughs> and finally, Craig, finally, literally at a screening of Dolomite is my name. Uh-huh. Finally, after this, this is, this is after post-production right. on the film. Right. And everybody, almost everybody else knows that there's a coming to America coming and I'm hearing it. Nobody's talking to me. So I waited by the door uh-huh. until Craig was ready to leave. You know, and I stood there very, very sumptuously waiting for him. And sure enough, it worked. I blinked, I batted my eyes, and I said, hi, Craig. And he was like, I got to talk to you, man. (laughs) I want you to be in the movie. I was like, oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've been hearing about that. Well, it's wonderful to think of me. (laughs) And then then what did he say? How How did he lay out the part of easy for you? Well, he told me he wanted me to be the bad guy to go up against, you know, uh, Akeem. And I thought, oh, that's going to be fun. Now I get to play, you know, scenes with Eddie in a real comedy. In a, in a, in a real comedy. Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't want to do your typical or some of the uh, characterizations you've seen with African despots, you know. Yeah, the dramatic side of it. Forrest Whitaker did a wonderful Idi Amin. Yeah. Idris Elba did a wonderful Beast of No Nations. I'm like, okay. I, I think that maybe, you know, my General Easy, 
he might like to dance. You know, he might like to party. He might like to party. None of those guys look like they like to party. You know, easy is like to party, man, you know? Guns and fun. Guns and fun. Guns and fun. Easy by name. Easy by nature, right? Yeah, you can't have fun without guns. (laughs) So we told me. It's natural. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, I wanted to bring all of those kind of energies to it. You know, the guys who were studying abroad and then figured, you know, they encounter everybody. And especially the ones who have the blessing of coming to uh, uh, Hollywood. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and then of course they they brush up against Jay Z, or they brush up against Beyonce. By the time they get back to Lagos, they are the best friends, you know. <laughs> they say, oh yeah, they wanted me to stay, <laughs> but I told Beyonce, no, I can't do that. I, this, I'm not the performer. You're the performer. <laughs> <laughs> and they tell this to everybody. We like, yo, man, did you really meet Beyonce? <laughs> I wanted to bring that. I I know that my friends who are like this, they're going to be laughing their ass off. Because <laughs> they're going to recognize it, you know. Why are you doing me? <laughs> Why are you doing me? If they wanted me, they should have called me. Imitation in is the sincerest form of flattery, right? I love them. I love them, definitely. I love them. <laughs> so... But Wesley, was there a sense of, because I know, and you've referred to this in previous interviews and on your Twitter feed as well, that, you know, you auditioned for Coming to America all those years ago, and you got really, really close. So was there a sense of unfinished L, business? I caught the L, B. I caught a straight L. <laughs> L7. I caught a straight L. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, was, I, was, I was traumatized by that. I was devastated. Went in my bathroom, and I was like weeping. Oh man! Well, three, you know, was it, was it three callbacks you had for for that role? At least, at least three. Right. So, yes. so, as an actor, you get three callbacks. You must begin to think that's it. It's in the bag. Oh, and you know, I'm looking at Eddie, and I'm looking. Oh well, I look like Eddie. Of course, I want to be. You know, I'm the best choice in, 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 in out of all of these guys. You know, Eric LaSalle, and I think Mario Van Peoples was the other guy. I mean, clearly, it couldn't be Mario, a good-looking guy like him. <laughs> Got to be more like a guy like, 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 like me. Clearly, that's the character. Mario Van Peoples, this is, he's a model. He can't be that guy. <laughs> he's too good-looking. Come on. They didn't see things my way, unfortunately. <laughs> yep, this is true. But, but, but everything happens for a reason, right? So everything happens to reason. Yes, sir. <laughs> you get coming to America, you might not be in coming to America because this movie, Eric LaSalle, is conspicuous by his absence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I won't say what happened to him. <laughs> him and Jimmy Hoffa, you know, <laughs> things happen. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I hear his character is the subject of The Irishman too. It's a three hour movie about how he disappears. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> what happened to him? <laughs> it's a very, very what dark tale. To hey, what happened to Daryl? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, things happen. Robert De Niro happened to him. That's what happened to him. That's right. Well, you know, you know, Easy has a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Some of them are in the gangster, uh, the gangster persuasion. Yes, yes, yeah. yes Robert. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was General Easy who told Robert to put the 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 D in front of near De Niro. 
because he was Robert Nero. And I told him, I said, well, that's not a good look. You know, Nero wasn't a good guy. I think you should put the D. Yeah. D for dynamic. Yeah. D for yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. You can keep it. No commission. <laughs> Robert De Niro, Robert Money De Niro. That's what, that's what I'm thinking Niro, of. That's what, yeah, uh, you, you know? know. That's what genuinely easy thinking. Oh, you can be a general. You can be a citizen of that story. <laughs> You can be a citizen. I want twenty five percent upfront, Wesley. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, mess around. Twenty five percent upfront. Like a colonizer again. <laughs> <laughs> All these colonizers did not change. <laughs> uh, but so, so you're back on. You're on the set of Coming to America. Daryl yeah. Eric Lasalle. He's been he's been bumped off by Robert De Niro. There you are with. So we here. So we here. So we don't know. We yeah. don't know. We don't know. We don't know. You're on the set with Eddie. You're improving with Eddie? Is that something that happens on, on this? A little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A little bit. A yeah. little bit. Because Eddie also, he'll do it in words, but he'll do it, do it in facial expressions. And, you know, that's, that's, I love that. You know, give me, give me the assist. Throw me a ball or, you know, set me up and then I can respond. Or I can come back with an assist. I know it's going to be, a, you know, a layup dunk or, you know, something like that. And I'm boom just by watching the facial expressions or listening to the tone inflection, the variation there, yeah. the read of the line. And, you know, I can flip with it. Yeah. And he's excellent at it. You know, that's amazing. Why he's Eddie. <laughs> and do you guys get together before the cameras roll and go, okay, I'm thinking of doing this, just roll with it. Or is it literally Absolutely all in a moment? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Do, 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 to give him an opportunity to be prepared? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's how I hear Meryl Streep works, Wesley. So if you're going to do that, oh, then... she wants she wants to want to know ahead of time. She needs to know. Maybe that's why I've never worked with her. <laughs> I, clearly, I don't know how to play by the rules. But this is it. This is it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. If you're in a scene with me, you better be ready. <laughs> You better be ready. You know what? I'm, I'm definitely get, listening to you. I'm, I'm getting a sense of that in this interview that you need to be ready to work with Wesley I'm Snipes. I'm listening to you. I, I, I'm not nowhere else. When I'm in the scene with you, I'm in the scene with you. I am focused. I entirely, else. entirely focused. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I've got to let you go in a second, but but Wesley, I am a huge fan of Blade. And can I just take a second to compliment you on your delivery of what I believe is the greatest line in the history of motion pictures. I think you know what it is. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. A line that originated over, that came up over uh, um, cream cheese chicken. A grilled chicken in 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 a wonderful French Louisiana cream cheese sauce, and we were all sitting at my uh, at my table at the the, the dining table, uh-huh. going through the script and talking about you know the characters, and it just came out, and we kept it. Yeah, <laughs> there were no. Alts. I didn't know how prophetic it was <laughs> and how how true it was. I mean, it was like you know, it was a flipping. I mean, you know, just a a flipped off comment, but. Man, how true that is proven to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any tattoos, oh. but if I did, I'd get a tattoo on my forehead because that you know that's 
That's very prophetic. You've described the state of the world there, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And they're still doing it, man. That's crazy. It's, still, it's like, haven't you heard? <laughs> ah. Indeed. Indeed. Well, it's been it's been a pleasure, man. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill and some motherfuckers are always, always going to always trying to you know go roller coaster uh, riding with Meryl Streep. Wesley, I wish you all the best with that, man. All the best. All the best. Same to you, brother. It's been a pleasure. Peace, peace. Thank you. Salute, salute. All right, so that was Wesley Snipes. What a delight he was. And we will be talking about coming to America on next week's show. Sorry, coming to America on next week's show. Right, time now to delve deep into the week's movie news. And I think there's only really one place to start. And that is with news that Spider-Man 3 is no longer called Spider-Man 3, not that it ever was. It is now called Spider-Man After Much Homes Chicanery. Under the Hammer. <laughs> yes, Spider-Man <laughs> Homes Under the Hammer. Uh, no, it's called Spider-Man No Way Home. After an amusing, amusing <laughs> little bit of uh, kerfuffle the other day where, <laughs> where Tom Holland and uh, Zendaya and Jacob Batalon all released different titles for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Over the fun we had. I'm genuine. I'm I think it's brilliant, and I think more people should do it. I love it. I absolutely loved it. So they, they suggested Spider-Man Phone Home, Spider-Man Home Wrecker, and Spider-Man Home Slice, and I just absolutely love that. Oh, Home Slice! Oh, how I miss oh. that place! Oh, that pizza! Mm. Oh. It's a place in London, folks. If you if London ever opens again, and you know this week, the the news does seem to be encouraging that we're heading back in that direction, and that mm. cinemas might be opening again. Oh my yes. god, cinemas oh, aim to be opening in May. That is oh. pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, maybe maybe we should let with that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like that was the big news. The cinema's coming back, and we can go back to the cinema. <laughs> well, I've been bearing the lead my entire career. Why break the habit of a lifetime now? Uh, yeah, so so there's a great place in London. It is near Neil. Street, which is where the Empire offices used to be. It's in Neil's uh, off, Yard. Of Neil's mm. Yard. Yes, in Neil's Yard, which is off Shaftesbury Avenue. Uh, Street, it's yeah. called Home Slice. It's really mm. great. They do massive, great, big fucking pizzas. And they do a slice. It was, it was five pounds a slice. And you may be thinking to yourself, Chris, that's a lot of money for a slice of pizza. It but is. This thing a is the size of a small truck. So, yeah. and it's really, really nice oh, and well so worth it. Yeah. You know, they, they do home delivery. You can get home kits. Can you? Like maybe where you live, you know, in fancy <laughs> London, but not where we live in unfancy London. I so Helen, I don't have a television. So <laughs> please just give you some sort of grand idea of London living. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I, I don't know. I think Greenwich is pretty fancy, don't you? Oh, I apologize. Again, you, yeah. yeah, but it, it, yeah. it's south of the river and therefore we don't get a lot of the deliveries. No, this is true. We don't go mm. south of the river at this time of night. It's <laughs> not a pizza delivery, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, so, Spider Man, yes. no way home. No way home. That's yeah. fine. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm happy you know, with that. Yeah, I can live with it. I've, I've been thinking a lot about this Spider-Man film because, let's be honest, none of us have anything better to do at the moment. <laughs> and um, so I'd, I'd had thought when all of this, you know, kerfuffle around, you know, Jamie Foxx and everything was announced that, that initially I had a very negative reaction to it and then mm -hmm. I warmed to it as the way mm -hmm. they were going to open the multiverse to the MCU. And now I've kind of reversed course on it where I'm not saying it's bad, but my worry is that this is less about introducing the multiverse to the MCU and more about introducing the Sony back catalogue to Spider-Man. And I mm. feel that the gateway to the multiverse from the MCU will come via Doctor Strange. And I feel like this is very much going to be more of a serving the broader future adventures within the Sonyverse and less about 
the MCU. And that gives me pause. I think that's possibly right. And I wonder if No Way Home reflects the fact that he might end up in a different reality that is more divorced from the MCU films. And obviously there can still be crossover because somebody can re- reopen the multiverse. Blah, blah, blah. But um, it, it does feel like this might be a, a bit of a way to step yeah. away from the MCU. And into such august company as Venom and Morbius, the living vampire. <laughs> which might be great. We haven't seen it yet. Yes, which will almost certainly yeah. be a five-star film. <laughs> It yeah, could be good. So, it could be good. Uh, I don't really know. Good. I think the uh, the fact that this is going to come out uh, before Doctor Strange, I think this yes. is, this is going to be the Christmas. It's coming out this Christmas. Ooh, this Christmas. Okay, could we just could we just ask a question here? How many MCU films do we think we're going to see this year? Because if I do a quick little bit of finger maths, it feels like never do finger maths. <laughs> there are potentially quite a few of them. Well, it's, you know, uh, Black Widow and Eternals and yes. Spider Man. Oh, Shang Chi is meant to be this year as well, isn't it? Are we going to see four MCU movies in six months? No, I think I think Shang Chi might drop back if Eternals and Black Widow are both this year. But doesn't it depend on you know? Because there's going to be uh, there's going to be some log jamming in terms of their <laughs> mythology, isn't it? What that, you is know, it got- with you this week? You're finger mathing, you're space talking, now you're log jamming. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. This is it's not been a long pandemic. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, you know, they're going to have this sort of traffic jam of 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 story, and at some point they're running all these TV shows. At some point they're going to say, no, we've got to get Shang Chi out there, or no one's going to understand this other thing here. So are they are they just going to sort of backload, steady a load of these MCU films in the second half of this year, and you know, to to get it all out there? Maybe. And th- thus making it the greatest six months in the history of cinema. <laughs> I mean, it is going to be the greatest six months in the history of cinema anyway, because we're well, also deprived. Well, because June is coming out, Helen, that's right. Because June is coming out, and because we're all so deprived and just desperate to be back in the cinema. Oh, my God. I'll watch fucking anything at the moment, I honestly. Mean, seriously, can you imagine just the, the chairs and the people and the, <laughs> and the big screen that isn't oh. your TV? Oh. I think they're good at rolling with the punches, Jimbo. I think they'll mm. they'll be aware of it. The fact that Spider-Man was meant to come out after Doctor Strange is now coming out before Doctor Strange. I think you know they'll have made story adjustments so that they'll be able to flow effortlessly into yeah. so each other. Do you think like the villain at the end of WandaVision will be Morbius? Oh God! I hope not. <laughs> oh God, no! Oh no! Please no! But then that might be Blade. Blade might have to come out of nowhere to fight Morbius, the living vampire. Uh, well, yeah, there's something we should talk about that on the spoiler special tomorrow. But anyway, not to get hung up on One Division again. No, let's not um, do that. Yeah. God forbid. One Division spoiler specials mm-hmm. drop every Monday for the bargain price of two ninety nine. What's happened to you? Synergy. <laughs> what happened to you? Uh, He's Beth. innoventing. He's innoventing. Okay. Beth, as someone who has the last name Webb, uh, are you are you disposed? Are you how, how how do you feel about Spider Man? is he is he friend? Is he foe? Is he related to you? Uh yeah, it's Beth uh, Webslinger is the full name. Uh, oh. I, <laughs> no, I do have to say, I am becoming more and more invested. Perhaps as someone who has been emotionally invested at best with the MCU, I am becoming more and more gripped, I think. And a lot of that is due to WandaVision and the new phase of Spider-Man films. And I think as someone who is kind of condensing it as like a singular film, I'm excited for this because I love the central performers. I love Zendaya. I love Tom Holland. I don't know how much the mythology and the multiverse is going to undo my appreciation of those performers and what they bring to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that respect, I'm excited. I'm expected to be very, very confused. Uh, but generally I'm hanging in there. I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of faith in them <laughs> and I have a lot of faith in uh 
where they what they've done with this so far. I think it's been my favourite so far. But uh, mm. yeah. And the first images they released from the movie this week on their Instagram pages uh, were of those three together of of mm-hmm. Peter Parker, Peter Parker, Peter Parker, and <laughs> MJ and uh, Ned, and they're all together, and they seem to be investigating something. It looked, you know, with the with the the color grading on those images, it looked like it was a uh, uh, looked like it was a shot Scooby-Doo. from a National Treasure sequel, or yeah, or Scooby Doo, um, which I'm kind of all for. And nothing's mm. been confirmed about any casting. So this is all this is all announcements in the trades, but nothing official's been confirmed. So, uh, and Tom Holland the other week week said that um, there is no Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield cameo in this movie. Do we believe him? I'm not. Well, entirely that could sure. be careful wording that it's not a cameo. Maybe they just haven't told him. <laughs> that would be wisest. He I mean, is. there is that joke even in this little announcement video about yes. the about the film. It's like, why he, wouldn't they tell me? He's like, are you kidding? Because you because <laughs> you leak everything. Why does that ever happen? <laughs> he does. He's a spoiler machine. He really is. He'd love our spoiler specials. Just two pounds ninety nine or thirty two ninety nine a year. Uh, it's not like he can't afford it. Okay. <laughs> two things broke last week. Okay. As the podcast went up, and uh, they're both, I think, war- warrant investigation uh, or conversation. And uh, one of them is the news that Gareth Evans, our good old pod chum Gareth Evans, the director of the Raid movies, uh, his next movie looks like it's actually happening, which is fantastic. Uh, it's called Havoc, and it will star Tom Hardy. So that is that's a big bit of news. Big old mm. noise for for Gareth Evans. I'm very very uh, happy for him that he's managed mm. to uh, to to land a big fish and with it get the funding. I, I imagine as well to to put his latest slice of mayhem on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. Absolutely. You know what else I'm looking forward to though? What's that? Mm-hmm. Edgar Wright's new film, <gasps> which is going to be which one though? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but Edgar Wright is doing a new adaptation. Of the Running Man. Now, obviously, he will not be able to reach the giddy heights of the original Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> that would be far too much to ask. Uh, and yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I think partly because he's clearly not going to attempt to do what that film did at all, because mm. that film has bears absolutely no relation to the Stephen King novel whatsoever, uh, other than the title and the very f- and the name of the main character. Um, so the, the it's written under his uh, Richard Barkman name, but uh, it's it's very much takes place in the city itself. It's a man on the run. It's more like the Fugitive than it is the actual Running Man movie. But uh, it's a lot bleaker, mm. a lot darker. And it has mm-hmm. a really fucking uh, upsetting ending. No spoilers. But um, yes, it's uh, this is fun. This is exciting, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to be uh, Edgar's next movie. I would be surprised, quite frankly. He's attached to a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, not least of which is Baby Driver 2. He's mm. he's attached to adaptations of The Chain and Set My Heart to Five, which is a another novel that came out last year. And The, the Chain is a best-selling thriller by Adrian McKinder. Mm. And, and so I think he's attached to about five or six different things at the moment. So He's a busy man. Yeah. Yeah. Whether this is number one on his docket, I would be surprised, uh, especially since it seemed to be that there's no script. <laughs> that didn't start the last one. <laughs> yes, but that's why we hope this one will be different, James. You know, so uh, I like so yes, Who loves you and who do you love? No, I love it too. It is amazing. <laughs> Directed by Starsky or Hutch. That's right. It was. 
Big difference though between those two. Uh, Speaking of cool British directors with new projects, Alice Lowe um, has set up her new film Time Stalker, which is to set star Sam Riley and Natasha Dimitru from uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show, Mm -hmm. uh, and Jacob Anderson. So it's a sort of unrequited love story set across several centuries. So she keeps, I think, getting reincarnated and falling for the same guy and it keeps not working out every single time. So apparently it will go from 1680s Western Scotland to the apocalyptic 22nd century. Uh, so that sounds really, really good fun. Really excited for that one. That's going to be sick. Anything else that we want to talk about? Uh, yeah, The Killer, uh, by which Whoa. I'm not bum, about to. Bum, bum. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil any crime thrillers, don't worry. But it is David Fincher's film that has been in some kind of development since I think 2000 um, practically. Uh, but it's it's a film he's been talking about adapting. It's based on the Alex Nolent, Alexis Nolent, sorry, graphic novel about a cold-blooded assassin who begins to develop a conscience. Um, adapted by Andrew Kevin Walker, it has in previously been linked to Brad Pitt, and it is now looking like Michael Fassbender is going to take the lead role potentially, and um, with Netflix, you know, providing the cash. So it could finally happen and I think it genuinely is about 14 years in development so it would be very very good to see that one actually yeah. hit screens that'll be fun and also we we did talk a couple few weeks ago didn't we about actors who perhaps have lost their way a little bit of late and uh, not to be unkind but we we did say that you know we're all huge fans of Michael Fassbender here but mm. things perhaps haven't gone swimmingly for him from a career point of view over the last couple of years and so this would very much get him back on track a big old David Fincher movie Yes, please. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And also, continuing from our Mothership um, Close Encounters chat, Halle Berry is set to star in a film called Mothership um, for Bridge of Spies' Matt Charman, who's writing and directing. Um, It's another Netflix joint, but it will find her playing a fearless woman whose husband mysteriously vanishes, and then she discovers a strange extraterrestrial object beneath her home. So she and her children set out to find her husband and uncover the truth behind his disappearance, which may involve the CIA. Probably does, because they're always bad ones. How exciting! Mm. That's exciting. Uh, did anyone see the really sweet moment last week that Andy Muschietti, who was directing the Flash movie, yes. he shared on his Instagram, where they basically they've cast a new Supergirl for, for this movie. It's not going to be Melissa Benoist, uh, who is playing the character on TV. Uh, they've cast uh, Sasha Kali. I hope I'm pronouncing her surname right. Um, they've cast her as Supergirl in this movie, which is going to start Ezra Miller. And Andy Muschietti shared the moment that he told her that she had got the gig uh, on a Zoom call. And it's just really, really sweet and lovely. And yeah. Did he tear open his shirt and it was written on a T-shirt underneath? <laughs> Sadly not. Uh, no. Nice to trick there. He he did. He held up the super Supergirl costume and said, "You know, can you fly? You're going to need this." Can and you she fly, Bobby? Yeah. And I hope she knows that she was going up for Supergirl at that point. <laughs> it just been like, "What? This is really weird." <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah, this is very strange. But uh, yeah, she reacted very, very, very well to it. Uh, she is the first Latina actress who will be playing the role of Superman's cousin. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and that movie will be out next year as well. Uh, maybe another reason why they're fast-tracking Spider-Man so they can get so Marvel can get their own multiverse shenanigans out ahead of DCs. All right, so as I mentioned earlier on, there is another streaming service. There is another 
streaming service and it's going to be Paramount Plus in the States at least, but don't know whether it's going to even be over here or yeah. what it's going I mean, to be called. It's not quite a new streaming service. It's an existing streaming service that's having a rebrand. So it's CBS All Access, which is becoming Paramount Plus. In the same way um, that HBO Max is just a rebrand uh, in, in a way yeah. as well. It's just it's just a facelift. But I guess the big thing here is the release window announcement that came with it. They were talking about things like Quiet Place Part 2. They were talking about things like the new Mission Impossible. And they were saying they were looking at a 45-day window between theatrical and streaming releases, which I've got to be honest, is not a long time. And mm. that's only for those big tentpole titles. They're looking at 30-day windows for some of the smaller films as well. So that's, uh, that's a quick old hop, skip and a jump from the multiplex to your living room if, and this is very important, you live in America. Yes. Yeah. And it may be that um, the cinemas will have something to say about that once they're up and running again. There may be... Yes, like fuck right off. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's later in the year anyway. Uh, yeah. It's it's a funny time to be announcing something like that, I think. But it's It's just, I mean, I guess all of these studios have kind of realigned their business models, haven't they? And they, they, they've obviously found ways to monetize these streaming services in a successful way. And they're, they're trying to, I guess, think, how does that then fit with a world in which cinemas can open again? And how can we make all of the fat stacks of the monies? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's been this, this conversation has been going on for a long time and it's not going to cease to to go on yeah. uh, just because of the pandemic. The, the, the question of Windows, the question of streaming, the question of cinema's place in the kind of ecosystem it's definitely up for debate and definitely in discussion, but um, 45 days does seem short. Uh, 30 yeah. days definitely seems short. And I think there are going to be cinemas that are going to be worried about that. And and also, I think there is going to be a point, and we may not have reached it yet, and we may not reach it for some time, but there is going to be a point where this kind of fractured ecosystem where we all subscribe to a million different services, apparently, is, is maybe going to hit saturation point. And I don't mm-hmm. know when that is, but... Uh, I the think Paramount it's a, Plus, I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, but like, I mean, HBO, you know, they're talking about quite a high price point for that compared to at least the starting prices of things like mm, Netflix mm. and and Disney. And therefore, you know, when do, when is enough enough? I mean, Apple already, I think, yeah. is you know, it's it's got some great shows. You know, we're all huge fans of Ted Lasso, but there aren't a huge number of them. So uh, some of these things are probably going to begin to slip down the charts as it were of, of which things we subscribe to every month yeah um, it's it's really it's tough mm. like once you've set aside your £2.99 a month to pay Obviously. for the Empire Podcast <laughs> yeah, sports special the most, most important subscription <laughs> then you know you make, you have to make some very very tough choices but you're right it's absolutely going to reach saturation point so you have Netflix Amazon Prime you have uh, HBO Max, Hulu in the States as well. Is that still a thing or is yeah. that part well, of Disney Hulu, now? Hulu, Disney Hulu, Plus. Yeah, Hulu is okay. still a thing in the States. Over here it's Star, which is uh, rolled into Disney Plus. But in terms of in terms of the uh, the, the, screen, the streaming wars, because, you know, is there going to be a Sony one? Mm. What happens to yes. things like Lionsgate and Studio Canal uh, as well? How do they how do they work? There's Sky as well over here also, which is a big thing. Uh, but the Paramount one, I mean, the fact that you'll be able to see Mission Impossible 7 and 8 and Quiet Place 2 and things like that, that's all very, very well and good. Um, but their, their, their list of shows, their list of shows that they have announced doesn't strike me as must-see, I have to say. So they're, they've gone through their back catalogue, picked out a whole load of, here. <laughs> get ready, Martin Scorsese, you're just going to see some really sexy words coming your way. They <laughs> picked out some some nice, ripe IP, 
to make lovely content from, and <laughs> they've announced shows based on Fatal Attraction, The Italian Job, Love Story for the Love of Christ, uh, <laughs> The Parallax View as well, and uh, and of course, you know, we also have The Return of Frasier. But That's good. I, I'm not I'm not buying a subscription to Paramount Plus to watch <laughs> Italian job series. I'm just not. No. No. It's uh no. <laughs> it's just it's slightly overwhelming at this mm. stage. I think it's fine to pick one or two out of the the kind of sleuth of announcements that you've got coming up. I just got completely lost yesterday mm. when that came out and, and as we said it's not too UK focused. But also, like, so Mission Impossible is going to be on Paramount Plus after 45 days, presumably only on there for an hour or two, because it will self Is that an additional rental cost as well, or is that included in there? <laughs> I don't know. They haven't actually said. That's, right. that's a very have, good question. But they mm. do have tiered pricing, and you have to pay a higher price not to have adverts. So that's also a worry, because one of the good things about streaming at the moment is, you know, no freaking ad breaks. If if streaming services also have ad breaks, you're just a bit like, oh, I can't bother with this. Have we had enough in lockdown of tears? Honestly, no more tears, please. No more tears. No more no tears. More tears. Um, right. Is that it for movie news? No one mm. carked it, did they? God, I hope not. I hope not after you've said that. <laughs> if you're a famous Hollywood type and you carked it in the week and we haven't mentioned it on the podcast and our deepest apologies and condolences and sympathies to your family and friends and oh we will God. talk about you whoever you are on <laughs> next week's show time now for this week's second <laughs> <Jesus>. guest <laughs> and uh, Sapa which is a hefty two plus hour documentary dedicated to the life and work of Frank Sapper, the legendary musician, uh, is out this week and it is directed by Bill S. Preston Esquire himself, Alex Winter. And uh, I didn't know a lot about Frank Sapper going into this. I knew he was a bit mad and he named his daughter Moon Unit and one of his sons Dweezil. And that was pretty much all I knew about Frank Zappa. I am now illuminated and uh, I think it's a very, very good documentary indeed. And uh, I haven't talked to Alex Winter yet. This is going to happen after we record this show. So I hope it went well. And um, yeah, here's Alex Winter. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Ember Podcast by the director of SAPA, Mr. Alex Winter. How are you, sir? I am well. I am well. I'm happy to say, given the craziness of the world we currently live in. It is crazy, isn't it? But there's light at the end of the tunnel, and I think for once it may not be a train. Yes, yes. Uh, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you doing at the moment? How's, how's, how's your pandemic been? I know you had to finish SAPA in the pandemic. That must have been surreal. Yeah, it was a strange year uh, beyond the obvious for us because we've been working on um, we've been working on quite a few films over the course of the last bunch of years that all mm. came out at once <laughs> and all came out at once during a pandemic. So we were releasing uh, Bill and Ted Three, which was you know intended for a global theatrical release and it had to be completely reimagined mm -hmm. um, at the last minute. Zappa, which we'd, we'd been on for six years, which also had a global festival tour that was going to be followed by a theatrical release, all of which had to be completely scrapped and reimagined. And then we had mm -hmm. our documentary Showbiz Kids, which came out on HBO and in K on Sky. Um, and that one was okay because it was sort of built for, for cable. Um, mm. But it was a very complicated year for us because we had to, you know, navigate distribution 
uh, in this climate. Um, I will say gratefully that all of it worked out for us uh, and that the films did quite well. People seemed to like them and they were seen. Um, so in the, at the end of the day, we were, we were uh, very happy with the results, but it was a lot of work and very tiring. Um, I yeah. think me and my whole team just basically collapsed over the holidays. <laughs> so. Did you get that thing? I've, I've heard a lot of directors uh, have told me this over the years that their immune systems just seem to know when you have finished a project because they just crash and then you, you, know, you can you get tired, you get sick. Uh, it just all floods in at the same time. That is, that is a hundred percent accurate. I mean, and, and I've been like that, you know, I've been in the business my whole life since I was a little kid and, yeah. and it, you know, it's, it's always been that, you know, at the holiday, everybody crashes, uh, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, my wife used to laugh at me because I, I had a production company in the UK and I would sort of go over and like, you know, knock out all this work. And then, you know, she'd get me when I was sick. You know, <laughs> I go home and just collapse. And uh, that, I mean, that's really that's kind of production life in a nutshell. But yeah. uh, th- I mean, with COVID, it really is a whole other level of stress. I mean, your brain is just constantly going. Uh, but then there are real world um, issues that you're having to deal with. You know, I have a family. I'm like dealing with getting my kids through school or whatever. Am I worrying about my mom who's old, you know older and, mm. and I can't get to her and she can't get to me? Like there's all mm. this life happening around you while you're like, but what about my movie? <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Yeah, it's true. It, it must feel bad. It was like I, I, you know, I do. I do. I should I feel bad for being invested in how my movie is being perceived? No, exactly. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. <laughs> I've only been working on this for twenty years, but you know, <laughs> yeah, precisely. who's counting? You know, Sapa in particular is something you've been working on for a long, long time. It is. Yeah, we we started on. Uh, we we had the idea to do it in twenty fourteen, and and approached uh, Gail Zappa, Frank's widow, who has also mm-hmm. since passed on, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pitched her a take, and and we were lucky. She really liked the take. Uh, they were they're tough customers, and she had been pretty pretty protective of of that legacy. Um, I mean, even while Frank was alive, she was you know she ran the the independent label that they had, and was very very smart lady um and did some pretty extraordinary things uh so i was aware of what i was walking into but uh we were lucky she really liked the take and and the uh the sort of blessing and curse was she she offered me access to the zappa vault which was you know like the end of raiders of the lost ark just this giant collection of rooms filled floor to ceiling with boxes of media and props and art and photographs and uh, every conceivable form of video, every conceivable conceivable form of of film and audio, mm. um, and I literally took a deep breath and went and raised a, a chunk of money on a, on a crowdfund campaign and spent two years, day in day out, preserving that media before we could even start the film. It was a an insane process, but it was rewarding. The finished product. How much did it differ from the movie you had in your head before you knew you had access to these archives? It's interesting. I, I, you know, the thing I pitched to Gail from the very beginning was making something that, uh, that would, uh, be intimate, that, that would not feel like kind of an, an outsider's perspective. And, and that was why she, that was why Gail offered up the vault, I think, because I think she felt there was, there was no way to do that by just trawling for external media. And of course you do still do that. We, we got media from all over the world. We went on a hunt for years and just got everything we could get our hands on. But, um, 
but the finished film was much more from Frank's POV because I because one of the things that I found on there that I don't even think Gail or the family knew was there was just hours and hours and hours of video and audio of Frank talking intimately with his friends. And that once Mike Nichols, the editor, and I got our hands on that stuff, mm-hmm. we realized that that was the movie. And we basically built a a structure out of that material. Um, and of course, it's cheating like crazy. Like we're, we're creating sentences that don't exist. We're cutting out people that he's talking to. It sounds like kind of a, like a, like an intimate monologue in the film, which of course it isn't at all. Um, and that was very complicated work, but it, but it gave us a real, uh, direction and sort of sense of what the structure of the film was going to be because we, you know, we had the man himself and it was, and it's beautiful stuff. And how much how much of a cue did you take as well from from his musical style uh, also because the this looks like it was an incredibly difficult editing job uh, you embrace a style that I, I wonder if you're deliberately echoing sometimes that very very intricate musical style that Frank Zappa would have uh, because there's some incredibly intricate uh, editing techniques used in the, in this in this movie. It was a combination of things. One, it was uh, we had a real desire to make a film that was cinematic. You know, mm-hmm. I don't come from a background of making music docs. It's not to say I don't like them. I actually, there are several music docs that are some of the most influential docs for me of any genre. Um, but it's just not what I, I tend to make stories about figures in in culture who have an impact on that culture and the mm-hmm. the politics and the societal aspects and, and the cultural aspects of of their lives that's really the the type of stuff I do that was why I wanted to make a doc about Zappa it wasn't so much he you know he was this mustachioed weird rock guitar player um and uh and so I knew I wanted to make something cinematic that 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 had its own visual um, style and um, and that told the story in, in in an interesting way in reference to the times that it was relating to. But to a point, yes, there was we took our cues sometimes from not only Zappa's compositional style, but also his his editing style because Mike and I found a lot of footage in the vault that he had cut, he had filmed and cut himself. He started his artistic journey began as a filmmaker. Uh, he was young, but so was I. So was Mike. Mm. So are many people mm. who make films. You start. I started with eight mil. Uh, you know, I would buy like you know eight mil films of like old B movies, and I got rewinds. When I think I was like eight or nine years old, I started, and I would just start recutting those when I was a kid. And I got an eight mil camera, started shooting stuff. I started cutting that, and then I would intercut it. And Mike Nichols, the editor, the same. You know, I went. I first started working with him. He had a, an eight mil camera on his bookshelf and a bunch of film and it's not uncommon and that's how zappa started so we we both felt a lot of kinship with that frank Mm -hmm. that version of frank Mm -hmm. um and we took our cues from the way he would cut and the way he would cut was really specific so uh that was very helpful for us and we also liked it aesthetically we thought it was interesting 
I was talking about Frank Zappa's music there as if I'm a huge expert, Alex, and I'm absolutely not. Uh, I went into this movie. Good, knowing, that's knowing, good though. You're our audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, precisely. But I, I, you know, I, that's that's really interesting. I had the same conversation or a similar conversation in terms of intent uh, with Edgar Wright, who a few weeks ago on the podcast, who directed, uh, of course, a documentary about Sparks called yep, Sparks, which Brothers. I saw. Yeah, he he slipped me a copy of that, and it was absolutely fantastic. I love oh, excellent, that doc. excellent. I haven't seen it yet. So, so good. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so good. You're gonna love it. Oh, fantastic! Because again, I said to Edgar, I don't really know a lot about Sparks, uh, and I don't really want to know a lot going into it. And uh, so, was that again your your attitude going into this? That you wanted to ensnare people who didn't really know anything about Frank Zappa, other than the fact that he was a guitarist, he looked crazy, and he named one of his kids Moon Unit, which is what I knew about him going into this. (laughs) (laughs) Without a doubt. I, you know, for me, uh, I had no interest in making a piece of fan service whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and that, and to be fair to the fans who I have great admiration for, they've mm-hmm. got, you know, they got all that stuff. Like they, you know, they've got all the albums. They've trawled YouTube for every piece of archival they could get. Mm-hmm. I knew the Zappa fan base would probably like the film because we had so much archival they would have never seen. But I wanted, I, I, I would never have devoted six months, six years of my life to something just because I liked the band. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's no way. I just don't have that kind of time. So uh, for me, Zappa is an extraordinary human being who lived in an extraordinary period of time, mm-hmm. who was very engaged with those times, and I was very interested in making a film about art and what it means to make art and what it means uh, practically to make art in terms of the cost of that, the the financial cost, the human cost, the cost to your family, the cost, the, the political cost to how you can become an enemy of the state just by virtue of the fact that you make art. Um, yeah. Those are themes that interest me very, very greatly. And that was what motivated me to make the film. And that was the audience I had in mind was who would find that interesting. And the fact that it was Zappa is not an afterthought because it's obviously critical, but I was not making it uh, for Zappa fans as much as for people who would find his life compelling. Would you mainly consider yourself these days a director of documentaries? I mean, I know you've directed feature films in the past. I, I was delighted to discover recently, I saw your interview on Jimmy Kimmel, that you, you had directed aspects of Jimmy Kimmel's show as well, which is which is amazing. So you've directed a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff throughout the years, but these days, is your focus purely on documentaries? Um, well, I, I do love the form, and I do want to keep going, and I have a production company that's, that, that I have built that's specifically designed for making docs. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we live in extraordinary times, and I love telling stories about these these times and these issues and the doc I'm starting now is all about specifically the times that we're in which I've been wanting to do for a while um but no I'm I'm interested in doing you know there's a feature that I'm developing that I'm hoping to direct next year um and I'm writing a couple of shows for TV I'm even writing some stuff for TV that I would act in mm-hmm. um so uh I do love narrative and I'd like to keep a foot in narrative uh but I would say that the, the document the documentary form is is a particular love of mine and I don't I don't intend to stop making those when Bill and Ted face music came out last year uh, I did a, a long I had a long conversation on the podcast with uh, with Ed Solomon I asked him whether he or Chris had discussed directing that movie at any point as their grand farewell to Bill and Ted um, did it ever occurred to you at any point was that ever a, a, a prospect for you that you might direct that movie we discussed it really early on um I really had no interest in directing it. it. It's 
it you know it it sounds weird because Bill seems like such a completely mindless character, but he's not particularly easy to play, and it takes it you know it, it takes a little bit of brain grease, and uh, and we I also knew that we were going to have to play ourselves as all these different versions of ourselves, and the notion of playing regular Bill and all the different versions of Bill, wanting to really give those proper attention and directing. And working off of Keanu, it just it seemed like it'd be biting off more than than I could chew, and uh, mm. I just didn't want to try to juggle that many balls. Um, uh, I'm really glad, and really on day one, I mean, a we ended up with Dean Pariso, who was infinitely more talented. I mean, I'm sorry, but he's just <laughs> he's a comic genius. I am not a comic genius, um, so uh, we were you know, we really got lucky uh, with Dean, and he did an absolutely incredible job. Uh, so, but it was on day one of set. I was looking at Keanu and he was looking at me. I mean, it was really fun. It was very hard. It was very taxing physically to make the film. Yeah. But it was really, really fun. But it really relies on us just being in our own little Bill and Ted bubble. And you can't do that if you're focused on all of the, the roles of directing. That's impossible. Yeah. I, I can imagine it would I mean, be. For me. I'm not Orson Welles. Okay. And I guess it wouldn't be impossible <laughs> if you're Orson Welles. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I listen. Orson Welles was very, very talented, Alex, but I don't think he could play Bill S. Preston Esquire somehow. I don't think he. Hey, would. you know what? Uh, that's true. Yeah. When did we ever see him? You know, him dressed up as his grandmother. That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> Almost never. Almost never. Uh, yes, so, right. Almost so, never. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, say for example, had you had you directed that movie, how many takes do you think you would have given yourself of the line, Ted? You have had many counterintuitive ideas over the years, but this is by far the most counterintuitive of them all dude which is one of my favorite lines of the last few years yeah it was my favorite when i read the script i was so happy it was mine i didn't have to beg keanu to let me say it um uh you know if i was directing that i would have waited till the actor got it right once knowing he would never get it right again that would have moved the heck on that's what i would have done which is exactly what dean did he's like okay you got that out we're moving on before you screw it up i'm like thank you and that's lunch exactly It is a cracking line. A cracking line. And I think on that note, Alex Winter, I will let you go. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Alex Winter and Sapa is very, very good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm now of a mind to track down some Frank Sapa music when I finished listening to a certain song from a certain episode of WandaVision. No spoilers. If you want spoilers, just tube it. No, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, time now to dig deep into this week's releases. And I say this week's releases, a couple of these, um, in fact, one in particular has been out for a couple of weeks now. It is Dead Pigs, which is uh, streaming on Mubi. It's only available on Mubi. <laughs> There's another one you got to sign up to, folks. Uh, but it's well worth it. Mubi's fantastic, as we have said before on the podcast. You know, they have basically a different, incredible movie from world cinema every single day. But they're beginning to branch out a little bit more into distribution as well. And one of the first movies that they're really properly distributing is, as I said, Kathy Yan's Dead Pigs, which has the unusual distinction of being released after her second movie. So this is <laughs> Kathy Yan's debut movie, but it's being released a year after her second movie, which is Birds of Prey and The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Got caught up in all sorts of rights entanglements. That's basically why. But uh, but is it, Beth Webb, worth the wait? Tell us about this one. Well, as you say, it is a, it's a funny little curio because you are, or a lot of people will be watching it 
having already seen Birds of Prey. So you'll mm-hmm. be looking at scenes in it and you can absolutely see watching it how this paved the way for Birds of Prey, especially in terms of her world building. So a little bit of context. It's uh, so Kathy Ann, she used to be a journalist and spent a lot of time reporting in China. And while she was uh, in China in 2013, there was a, an incident where the corpses of 16,000 pigs came floating down uh, the river Hangpu. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, they'd been dumped illegally from farmers in, in kind of poorer provinces. And it just started sort of showing up. Uh, and so she took the story and uh, turned it into this satire it's a kind of multi-narrative ensemble that's sort of more of a social commentary on gentrification in shanghai and it's so visually creative and Mm. intuitive and a really yeah i think you'll just watch it you'll see frames of it and you'll see exactly how and it's not an easy string to tie between a social satire based in Shanghai and Birds of Prey, but you can see the way that she creates these kind of fantastical, satirized, hyper-realities for her characters. And it's so interesting what she's done in that respect. Uh, it's got uh, Vivian Wu in it, which is... It, it, she's not the lead character in this, but you can certainly tell that the spotlight's kind of been reserved for her in this. She's definitely a, a favourite of hers. But it's really bright and bold it does incredible things with the aesthetic uh, i was i was really impressed to see it i don't know how i would i've been thinking about how i would feel if i'd seen it before birds of prey and i can't i just can't detach mm. them really which is probably a good thing yeah i think but you can see you're totally right you can see just her eye for just style and and character and um and just a cool image, you know, that house in the mm. middle of the sort of wasteland is is amazing looking. Um, some of the neon drenched nighttime scenes uh, are gorgeous. And and it, she has a real kind of wit about her because this is billed as a comedy drama and it is, for me, definitely more on the dramatic side. But there are some really funny moments scattered in, in here which kind of make it a bit more bearable is the wrong word but you know what i mean it it, it could be very heavy because it is dealing mm. with some very very heavy things and i think she just gives it just enough lightness to kind of lift it up um so yeah i liked it i thought it was interesting but it is impossible to sort of see it now as a as we i, I would have liked to have seen it as her debut and and sort of had that impression of it as an exciting young filmmaker and now i'm sort of judging it in relation to oh how you know how does this lead to you getting a big film deal how does that how does that work, you know? So, and you can see it. I think, I think you can see the talent there. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. So we give this one four stars. Four stars then for Dead Pigs, which, as I said, is available on Mubi. And uh, as I trailed in the last two weeks, actually, we we were very, very close to getting Kathy Ann to come on the podcast. But uh, sadly, she's now working on something else. So weren't able to make it happen uh, this time around, but hopefully next time we'll be able to have a nice old chat with her about birds of prey and dead pigs and sundry other animals as well. Four stars then for dead pigs. Next up, it is uh, a movie that I was surprised was even coming out this week, to be honest, because I've been waiting for news of the next movie from Lee Daniels, which is the United States versus Billie Holiday for ages. Um, And 
all of a sudden, here it is. And this is, I guess, the new reality in which we're living at the moment. There's a lot of movies coming out, and sometimes they'll appear without warning, pretty much. Uh, and it's going to be on Sky Cinema as of this weekend. Els Bells, tell us about this one. So this is Andra Day, the, the singer, uh, starring as Billie Holiday. Uh, and it, it sort of covers really pretty much the second half of her life. So she is a star. She is established at this point, And she is increasingly under fire from the FBI and law enforcement authorities who are essentially scared of her activism and particularly scared of her singing Strange Fruit, the song about lynchings that um, they see as, as a, you know, having potential to start riots, basically, even though you know, we don't see that happen anytime she sings it, but whatever. So um, Harry Anslinger, the FBI agent played by Garrett Hedlund, is kind of leading the push against her and and trying to encourage local authorities and his own men to surveil her and to arrest her on any pretext that presents itself. For example, her use of drugs, because she, she did suffer, unfortunately, from drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a sort of a, a bit of a trip through her life. So the the kind of vague framing device is is a sort of a, a frisson of attraction that she has with uh, Trevante Rhodes' character Jimmy Fletcher, and and their sort of story bubbles under while she goes through other horrific relationships with terrible, terrible, terrible men. Uh, but it doesn't. I'll be honest. This film feels a little bit like it doesn't really have a point at times. It, it kind of feels very meandering and and a little bit unfocused in a way that I think does Andrew Day's performance a disservice because I think she is astonishing. She is absolutely wonderful. She doesn't have a huge back catalogue of, of acting work, but she is off the charts good here. And the film around her is just kind of there. And, you know, it messes with history a few times in ways that actually feel like they go against what it's trying to say. So I don't even know what they were trying to do at times. Mm. Um, so so I find it a little bit frustrating as a film, but really, really compelling as a, as a performance. And it just made me want to go back and watch Lady Sings the Blues and certainly read up some more on Billie Holiday and definitely listen to some more Billie Holiday and some more Andrew Day, because her... <laughs> Her performances as Billy are incredible, but her own voice is amazing as well. So, so yeah, the music is great. The performance is great. I, mm. I just didn't always love it as a film. Yeah, this is why I was interested by it, because uh, I've seen Andrew Day's name in Oscar conversations. Yeah. And uh, Beth, what's your your take on, on this performance? Do you think it's it's likely to be nominated? Well, yeah. I mean, we're always in capable hands with Lee Daniels. Trevante... Rhodes is is you you couldn't stop him being charming and and easily becoming if you paid him. So I think we're in capable hands both in that res- in those respects. I think Andrew Day, considering what what an incredibly tumultuous and physically and emotionally demanding role this is, mm-hmm. this is where the biggest gamble was. As much as I enjoy her singing, um, that she is able to so readily commit to it and bring new dimensions to a story that I already, I already know a fair bit about and I'm certainly m- learning more and more about the power dynamics within women in the music industry, especially at the mm. moment with mm. all the kind of stories emerging around female public figures and how tied up they are in so many layers of kind of patriarchal, like a patriarchal prison. Men, you men. Um, hey. But, <laughs> Hang on a second. So- <laughs> Hashtag so, all men, says Beth. Every <laughs> single man. Um, but um, 
she was she was able to bring such depth to it to a story that you can kind of color in most of the mm-hmm. the kind of outlines of um i do agree with helen it's quite meandering and, and certainly some of the the scenes that step outside of her reality and step outside of her timeline um feel like they're pressing into a larger narrative i feel at the moment where we are seeing a very heightened i'm careful how i'm saying this obviously but we're seeing a very heightened sort of depiction of the torture of black people and i feel like that balance is yet to kind of write that self in the stories that we're seeing so i think in that respect it's it's um tough but i think that she she gives a big service to this to this story definitely last but least this week uh we have arch enemy which is a sci-fi slash superhero flick uh, that is released this week on VOD and stars Joe Manganiello Jimbo who is the person who obviously most resembles Joe Manganiello in this group <laughs> we are often mistaken as yes. twins yes it's the flying main that's what it is it's, it's because you both played D&D isn't it yes together regularly <laughs> <laughs> do you think you've ever played with him in like a Warcraft session because he's, he's a massive geek isn't he he's a big he old could. nerd do you yeah. reckon he was part of my guild once that m- me and he might have raided the dead mines together not a euphemism yeah. maybe um, yeah could have happened could have happened maybe headed down to Black Rock Depths of a Saturday night <laughs> <laughs> quick run around the Scarlet Monastery he's a All big of old sounds very fucking nerd yeah um, <laughs> love a nerd yeah he gives nerds a good name though if all nerds looked like him we'd rule the world hmm you kind of do, though. But anyway. Absolutely true. <laughs> anyway, so Arch Enemy. Oh, God. Okay, right. So this is written and directed by Adam Egypt Mortimer, and it does star fellow nerd Joe Manganiello as a homeless drunk uh, who also happens to be a hero called Max Fist, which yes, is what I'm is. changing my name to after this podcast. So Max Fist crashed into this reality from another dimension <laughs> called Chromium while trying to save his world from the evil Cleo Ventric and her doomsday machine. Or so he says. Now, clearly the source of his power, which is cosmic dust, doesn't actually exist in our reality. So instead of being a superpowered hero with the ability to fly, he's just a homeless guy with the ability to essentially drink Jack Daniels and vomit. So meanwhile, Skylin Brooks and, and, and Zoli Griggs are siblings. They are hamster and indigo. He's a high school dropout and a kind of wannabe citizen journalist uh, who's, let's be honest, more professional than any of us. Uh, and she mm. sells drugs for the local crime lord known only as the manager uh now when she steals money from the manager to make a fresh start his goons come to extract revenge and that is when max fist steps in and leads the pair of them on a rampage of revenge and a street war as a kind of hobo punisher now this film is a lot weirder than it sounds and it sounds Mm. pretty fucking weird so it has these kind of semi-regular comic inspired weird animated visual interludes uh and the whole film feels deeply strange but if i'm honest with you not in a good way like it feels like it's kind of going for i guess that pulpy bottom shelf early 90s video store type vibe you know um except it's also a bit boring because the action sequences are very uninspired there is a fight between joe manganiello and a n other goon which is kind of semi-slow motion and that's fine if you're going to do you know chad stahelski style 
you know, John Wick choreography, but it's basically just people slapping guns and trying to punch each other. It's not particularly impressive. Uh, and it doesn't really inspire. And then you've got those kind of slightly limp action sequences. You've got characters which are, yes, demented, but also paper thin and pretty unconvincing. And I think even if Manganiello himself is absolutely rather fun, and he genuinely is quite fun as Mac Fist, and let's be honest, who couldn't be if they were playing Max Fist? But uh, it, it, no, yeah. like the final act is, is uh, at points is deranged, but also really unsatisfying. And I kind of felt like watching this was a bit like snorting cosmic dust, you know? Like, is this weird sort of trippy, super lo-fi feeling little head fuck of a movie? But I just don't think I can recommend it as yeah. a way to spend an hour and a half. I, I thought it was a really clever way of of telling a superhero movie story on about 50p in a packet of crisps. <laughs> and, but at the same time, like, I feel like if that's all you've got, you know, if, yeah. and they, they clearly yeah. do have budget limitations, which I think the premise of the film very cleverly kind of gets around. But you then have to have the sharpest script and you mm -hmm. have to have a really, really clear sense of what your story is, who your characters are, and they have to be really different and memorable and you have to avoid cliche to really make something like this work. And and they kind of haven't done any of those things. And, no. and that's the shame. So it, it's a really, it's, for me, it's a noble failure. Like I really like what they tried to do. I think it's really interesting, but it, it does lag and sag at times because you're just, you want more of the characters and you want more of the, the dialogue and you just want more, you know, care and attention to that kind of detail that, that really isn't here. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I completely agree with it. I feel like the script needed to be more confident um, and honed in on more, but it also just tries to borrow too readily. I mean, from the opening mm. shot, from the opening, there's, there's animated sequences which have these dazzling palettes, but instantly I'm thinking of H.P. Lovecraft or Frank Miller, like without fault and I'm sure that that's what Adam Egypt Mortimer is trying to head for he's, he's plummeting straight for that kind of bone crunching midnight madness but without the energy and the confidence to to lean into mm. that mayhem uh, which was really disappointing I just throughout I just felt a constant lack of energy I was trying to compare it to things like Crank where you've got that mm. real sense of chaos that real scrappy DIY which again had no budget and you know mm. it would that film would not get, get made today with with Jason Statham but it had that real commitment to chaos yeah. that real sense of of frantic balls to the wall. I mean, Glenn Howerton was in that as well, being, you know, slightly less demonic than he is in this, but it just, it just felt diluted and, and lacked that kind of real commitment to, to what we wanted there. It was a shame. It is a shame. But that's not like Crank, like, you're right, it's low budget. It doesn't feel cheap. It yeah. feels economical, but it doesn't feel cheap. This just felt really cheap. This felt like yeah. film school cheap at mm. times. And I think part of that was the aesthetic that they went for, but mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I got a bone to pick with Max Fist, that's for sure. <laughs> but just not to his face, because no, look at the size not. of him, Christ almighty. Sounds like you're all in the two-star camp then for... Mm arch enemy and on that note on that sad slightly disappointing note oh <laughs> that is it for this week's empire podcast join us next week for more film related fun as we burst into march in style because we'll be joined by eddie murphy <gasps> oh yes indeed Eddie Murphy, star of Coming to America and also Coming to America 
very, very exciting indeed to have such a legend on the podcast. He was just as excited to talk to me, folks. Let me tell you. <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> Hashtag not laughing. all podcasters. Uh, but until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from our squadcast names, Swindon's Reckoning, Beth Webb. Sarah. And it's goodbye from Spider-Man Home Secretary, James Dyer. Let me leave you with another oh God. 38 oh God, facts no. about Groundhog Day. <laughs> now, first of all, the thing you should know about groundhogs. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll oh. save them for next week. No! This <laughs> <laughs> is an epic standoff between someone who's trying to make the uh, three-fact structure cease to be and someone who will never, ever, <laughs> ever rise to the bait. Uh, it is no. goodbye from Spider-Man No Way Helen, Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Diddly. And it's goodbye for me, Hubito, Barada, Nikto, which is, of course, the three-letter combination you need to stop the, uh, the the destruction of the world should a spaceship ever land on a baseball mound in Washington. Hubito, Barada, Nikto. Remember <laughs> it well, don't rely folks. On that. <laughs> yes, remember it well. And of course, the the company, the words that uh, Bruce Campbell was Klatu, Klatu, not Hurtu. Klatu, Barada, Nikto. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Army of Darkness, which some idiots think is the best Evil Dead Evil Dead movie. Not even close. Anyway, I'm off to go for dinner with Billy Piper. If only I could remember the street that we'd arranged to meet on. <laughs> Damn it. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.